SEP Fanfic Readings presents Draco Malfoy and the Mortifying Ordeal of Being in Love by Is This Self-Care Chapter 5 The Keepers They drove in silence for a little while. Granger looked preoccupied. Her thumb tapped at the steering wheel and she was worrying her lip. It's going to be a busy afternoon, said Granger at length. At the gardens, I mean. Let's try to keep a low profile. We have to go through the gift shop to buy tickets to go in, but after that we'll be able to go into the gardens themselves and avoid the worst of the crowds. I can keep a low profile, said Draco. Granger gave him a side-eye in lieu of a response. Does the water have magical properties? asked Draco. Why do the muggles even know about it? Granger sat up straighter and took a deep breath, and Draco realized that he had activated SWAT mode. The wellsprings in this area have been in use by both muggles and magical folk for millennia said Granger. It would have been too difficult to wipe the entire thing from so many minds after the Statute of Secrecy, I suppose. But to answer your question, Muggles only know of the two water sources in Glastonbury. One they call the White Spring, and one they call the Red Well. No real magical properties in either, though Muggles have ascribed their own spiritual, mythological significance to both. They have stories linking them to the Holy Grail, and King Arthur. He's meant to be buried in Glastonbury Abbey, and other bits of legend. They were now approaching the outskirts of town. Granger turned at a sign pointing to the chalice well gardens. But, she continued, there's a third well spring, one that you won't find in the Muggle brochures. It's called the Green Well. That one has bona fide magical properties. I need... Here, Granger hesitated, but seemed to decide that Draco would work it out anyway. I need a sample from it. For your project? Yes. And Wyatt Imbolc, specifically. "'You're being rather too inquisitive,' said Granger. Draco felt that she meant meddlesome, but had chosen the more polite option. "'I suppose the well reaches its highest magical potency at Imbolc,' said Draco. Granger made no answer. "'I'm right, aren't I?' He saw her glance at the glove-box, wherein lay the sneakoscope, promising to give away any blatant lives. "'Stop being so curious,' said Granger. "'That's a bit rich, coming from you.' She scoffed. Being curious is literally my job. I'm a researcher. Your job is to protect me from forces unknown, not interrogate me on a highly confidential proprietary project. Granger pulled into the parking spot, turned off the car, and waited for his retort. This witch was... something. Drago had never endured such unrelenting points and counterpoints. He rather felt that, if he'd been keeping track of the score, he'd be the losing party. I'm not a bodyguard. I wasn't assigned to you to clump along brainlessly behind you, said Draco. No, you're a highly trained, highly competent aura, and this is an utter waste of your time. Granger took a breath, visibly suppressing her irritation at the situation. The opening compliment elicited a tiny spark of delight, quickly suppressed by Draco. He didn't care what Granger thought about him. A group of muggles passed the car, distracting the both of them. Mutually deciding on an unspoken truce, very temporary, Draco was sure, they climbed out of the car. The car park was busy. Muggles and families, muggles pushing prams, muggles in outfits that seemed exceptionally outlandish, even for muggles. I'll warn you now, there are a lot of new-agey types here, said Granger as they joined the crowd headed towards the entrance. New-agey. Hippies, Wiccans, pagans, woo-woo types... Granger seemed to be struggling for a definition. Muggles who are very spiritual and believe in magic, or greater powers, anyway, to some extent. 
Some of them even call themselves witches. They don't realize that there are actual witches and wizards, of course, and actual magic. They collect crystals and things, and perform rituals they read about in old books. Ah, said Draco, though he didn't really understand. I thought muggles were meant to be relentlessly logical. Some are, said Granger. Some are rather less than logical. Or perhaps some part of them remembers magic, or subconsciously knows it exists, or maybe they just want to believe in something. They entered the busy gift shop, bustling, cloyingly over-scented. Granger saw Drankle wrinkle his nose and said, mm, "'That'll be the essential oils. New Ages love those.' Draco examined some offensively perfumed candles, labeled for relaxation. "'Why doesn't someone tell them they've oversynthesized these things to the point where any minor magical property is utterly lost?' Draco now found himself being steered by Granger and parked in a corner of the shop, like a Draco-shaped mini-cooper. "'Stay here,' she said. "'I'll get us tickets.' Don't break anything. Thank goodness for that last tip. He might have begun to pulverize things out of sheer excess of spirit otherwise. Shoving his hands into his pockets, Draco stood in the corner and watched Granger go. The crowd around her didn't look at her twice. She really did blend in. As for him, he was the subject of more than a few upward glances. His height, his white blonde hair, his spiffy suit. Granger had not joined the slow-moving queue for the tickets. Having his principal away from him in the busy spot was not something that Draco was keen on, from a purely professional standpoint. He performed some surreptitious legilimency on a random sampling of the people in the shop. The crowd was comprised mostly of muggles. There was one wizarding couple, but they had no ill intent, or any idea that Granger was here. Would they recognize her if they saw her? Maybe. But Draco couldn't delve into their minds so precisely from that distance. Granger's instructions to keep a low profile were rather hypocritical, given that she had just struck up a conversation with the muggles in the queue behind her. Draco, annoyed, cast a surface-level legitimacy on the family to check for sinister intentions. Nothing of interest. They were just friendly tourists. He grew aware of a presence lurking about him, peeking at him from around one shelf, then around another. He pretended to be interested in the smelly candles. Eventually she showed herself— she was a shop assistant, heavily draped in diaphanous scarves, observing Draco with bulbous eyes. A name tag was pinned to her jumper. Eunice. Hello, she said to Draco. Might I help you find something? Draco caught her gaze and read her immediate thoughts. Nothing ominous, save for the fact that she thought him dreadfully handsome. No, thanks, said Draco, turning back to watch Granger between candles. She was finally nearing the front of the queue. Instead of taking this as the firm dismissal it was, Eunice fluttered closer to Draco, her eyes glued to his face. "'Your aura is disturbed,' she said. Draco felt like he was being addressed by a muggle incarnation of Trelawney, crossed with a large moth. "'I don't think these candles will do you good,' said Eunice. "'I agree with you there,' said Draco. The sarcasm was lost on her. She nodded to herself and palpated the air around Draco, as though grasping at something. "'I'd suggest something stronger, like one of our cleansing incenses,' said Eunice, drifting down to point at a different shelf. Draco watched Granger make a beeline to the café bar. Would she kindly hurry up and save him from the moth? Eunice was now holding her hand towards him, with her eyes closed. She shook her head gravely. "'Your heart chakra is underactive,' 
is it? The Venus incense, I think, said Eunice. She grasped a packet and waved the pungent thing under Draco's nose. Although, with your need for grounding, perhaps the Saturn. She rummaged around the shelf and said things about transmuting energy and ascending to the celestial plane. Draco spied Granger's hat bobbing in his direction through the crowd. I have to go, he said, making his escape. Oh, do you? Eunice seemed put out. She slipped something into Draco's hand. My card. I do chakra realignments. Do reach out. Our energies are quite compatible. Eunice floated away just as Granger arrived bearing coffees. Who was that? asked Granger, observing the retreating flutter of scarves. Eunice, said Draco. She gave me this. Do you need your chakras realigned? Granger exchanged one of her coffees for the proffered card. Something had been scribbled hastily on it. Ooh, she gave you her number. What's that mean? That Eunice fancies you, said Granger, looking amused. Most women do. Granger snorted, like this was some wickedly funny joke instead of a universal truth. She caught herself, sobered up, and looked at him with fresh wonder. <laughs> You're funny, Malfoy. I live to serve, said Draco, to cover his vexation. Granger returned the card to him. Too bad you don't even know what a mobile is. Poor Eunice was quite barking up the wrong tree. She thought me dreadfully handsome. She also thinks your chakras need realigning. Let's not get too wrapped up in the soundness of Eunice's judgments, said Granger crisply. Let it be known that if any man needed his ego checked, a simple exchange with Granger would quite set him to rights. Draco sipped at the coffee Granger had bought. It was remarkably not terrible. How did you know I liked double espressos? Granger shrugged. It seemed your style. Bold. Bitter. Overpriced. Draco hid his scoff in the cup. Granger set them on a course towards the gardens. The rain began to let up and make way for tentative sunlight. The gardens were unexpectedly lovely, even if the muggles in charge didn't have access to the warming charms and magical additives that made wizarding gardens such a spectacle through winter. Draco thought his mother might have even appreciated the place. Though it was February, there was color about, thanks to careful plant selection. Musical gurgles of water from wellsprings everywhere added auditory interest, and the whole thing was gently illuminated by hundreds upon hundreds of candles tucked away in stony recesses. Signposts here and there asked visitors to maintain silence, out of respect for those meditating. Granger cast a silencing charm around the two of them so they could talk. They came upon the Red Well, aptly named, with its rust-colored water. Draco read the plaque with passing interest, as Granger had noted earlier. The Muggles had fabricated some fanciful bit of Christian mythology, suggesting the Holy Grail was buried here. There were also a few references to a Thurian legend. "'The Muggles know about Morgan le Fay,' asked Draco. "'An eyebrow rising at the sight of such a famous witch's name on a Muggle placard.' "'Yes, but she's a figure of myth,' said Granger." Most of them don't think she really existed. Draco tutted. Imagine. Next, they strolled through the well house that contained the White Spring, a dark, wet-smelling place where muggles had decorated the rough stone walls with candles and small shrines to deities real and imagined. St. Bridget, the Lady of Avalon, the King of the Fairies. Here we are, said Granger, as they made their way down a quieter, less-used path around the back of the well house. There should be a sort of platform to take us down to the Greenwell. We'll have to use our wands to get in. 
Let's disillusion ourselves in case any muggles pass by. Granger was now a Granger-shaped patch of garden in front of Draco, glimmering in the weak February sun. They stopped. Well, Granger stopped, and Draco ran into her. At what looked like a manhole cover, tucked halfway under a bush. Across its weathered cast-iron surface were two large circles intersecting under dead leaves and moss. "'That symbolizes the interplay between the physical and spiritual worlds,' said Granger. Draco could make out her ghostly wand gesturing at it. "'You might recognize the shape. The red whale is constructed the same way. Let's get on. It's the platform down.' They stood together on the manhole cover, rather squished. "'Incantation.' said Draco, getting a mouthful of Granger's invisible hair for the trouble. "'Vesica Piscis,' said Granger, mimicking the circular symbol with a wand wave. The manhole cover shuddered. Granger crept closer to him. She smelled like a gorgeous combination of rain, wet forest, cappuccino, and soap. Then, without a by-your-leave, the platform dropped out from under them. The gorgeous-smelling witch clung to Draco and pierced both of his eardrums with her shriek. Thank the heavens for those silencing charms, thought Draco as they fell. A thick cushioning spell met them at the bottom of the drop, which was excellent, as Draco hadn't intended to break both of his ankles today. He and Granger landed, bounced painfully into each other. He was quite certain he elbowed her in the tit. She narrowly avoided his groin with her knee, and collapsed, spread-eagled, on the thick bed of glowing fungi. Wow, a first-class voyage, drawled Draco in the dark. Gah! "'responded Granger, with something less than her usual acumen. "'Drago rose. Granger was somewhere on his left. "'She didn't seem to be making out quite as well as he was. "'She was rather shocked. "'Couldn't they have set up a levitation charm?' she asked weakly. "'I thought that thing was a lift. "'I didn't expect to a harrowing plummet to my death.' "'Drago groped about in the dimness to find that his coffee was a lost cause. "'Pity.' They dismissed their disillusionment, and when Granger managed to find her feet, began to walk down a passage illuminated by large, bioluminescent mushrooms. The sound of trickling water echoed throughout. Draco saw that even the wells were wet, with a constant stream of moisture. As they entered a kind of long, low-ceilinged cave, Draco saw that there were other witches and wizards about. In a corner was what looked like a kind of bookshop, which Granger eyed longingly. There was also a counter that served as an apothecary. The entire place was lit solely by the glow of the mushrooms, which were everywhere. The floor, the walls, dangling from the ceiling. Omphalitus luxaterna, said Granger. Pretty, in a slimy sort of way. If she added a, like you, Draco was going to hex her. His ego had taken enough abuse today. She didn't. It was almost disappointing that she'd let the occasion slip. They came at last to the green well. A bubbling, green-lit wellspring, flanked by two statues in the penumbra. At least, Draco had thought they were statues, until they moved. "'The keepers of the well,' said Granger, who seemed unsurprised at the sight. "'Right. You stay here. I need to do the talking. They have to be dealt with politely, and respectfully.' Ignoring the insinuation that he couldn't be polite or respectful, Draco said, "'I think I'd rather come.' His eyes strained to get a sense of what exactly lurked in the mushroom-speckled darkness. Granger's irritation flared immediately. "'You said you wouldn't get in the way. You're not even meant to be here. This is delicate and critically important.' "'Fine,' hissed Draco. "'I'll stay here.' He was within hexing range anyway. 
Granger advanced. Draco peered at the two black-draped hunchback forms. Were they witches? It was hard to tell in the dark. If they were witches, they most certainly had hag blood, somewhere up their family tree. As well as a few other things, no doubt. Their twin, pale stares, as luminescent as the mushrooms around them, disconcerted him. He found himself gripping his wand as Granger stepped up to the nearest of the keepers. His first thought, as he processed the situation, was that Granger was either stupidly brave or absolutely fucking reckless. Secondly, he didn't like this at all. These beings felt dark, old, dangerous. Yes, Tonks, she was killed by a hag. Yes, I was right there. Yes, I let her walk right up to it. Yes, she was disemboweled right in front of me. She wanted to pop by for some fancy water from this well. You know, nothing else would do. Here for a fell dairy, croaked the keeper to Granger. The husky, dry voice echoed eerily. Yes, if I might. I have an offering, said Granger. Her figure was a slight silhouette, backlit by the luminescence of the green wall. Show me, said the keeper. The creature leaned towards Granger. There was something hungry in her movements. Draco's wand hand twitched. If the thing moved any closer to Granger, he had a decapitation curse ready to be unleashed. Granger, as always, was well prepared. From somewhere in her anorak, where? She produced three large satchels, which she passed into the claws of the creature. Grain, awful, and gold. The second keeper shuffled over stuck her talon-like fingers into one of the bags. She pulled out a handful of glinting galleons. And where had Granger come by an entire sack of galleons, by the by? The gold's providence did not seem to worry the second keeper at any rate. She crooned her satisfaction. Very nice. Lovely. Let the good girl through. The first keeper gestured Granger forward. Haven't you got a vessel, child? Granger produced a large flask, whose golden stopper shone in the dim light. Yes, well, this too. The thing wheezed in assent. At a gesture from the keeper, Granger plunged the flask into the green well. The second keeper stared at Draco, as though aware of his tightly gripped wand and the well-practiced curses that awaited on his tongue. She sniffed the air in his direction. Put the wand away, little boy. This girl won't be meeting her demise here. The first keeper looked up from where she stood beside Granger. The wizard is worried, is it? It is. The first keeper's white eyes caught Draco's. There was ancient magic in them. He dared not perform legitimacy on this old mind. She cackled as though he had spoken aloud. That's right. You won't. Silly boy. I'd make your brain soup and drink it while it's still warm, wouldn't I? Sighed the other keeper. Eyes like the rain-troubled skies. Cold dread trickled down Draco's spine, though the creature hadn't spoken a direct threat. He wondered whether his darker curses would even be of use against these things. Perhaps he should be thinking light. Don't you start with the rhyming, said the keeper to her sister. We don't want to mess with his melon. Uh, I'm finished, said Granger, who was now holding up her dripping flask. It was a blessed interjection. Draco was genuinely beginning to feel spooked and trigger-happy. Good girl, said the first keeper. Mind you use it wisely. 
"'I will,' said Granger, stepping away from the two of them. Th "'Thank you.' "'Love and light, my girl,' said the first keeper. She and her sister cackled, as though that was the most riotous thing that they had ever heard. Granger gave them a kind of bow and came back to Draco's side. He kept his grip on his wand until they'd walked well out of the keeper's line of sight. Even then, he felt the twin pairs of white eyes touching at the back of his head. "'No,' he said, holding Granger to him when she darted towards the underground bookshop. "'But I wanted to—' "'No,' said Draco, his grip on her elbow unyielding. "'Let's go.' Granger seemed to sense Draco's anxious anger and did not argue further. They walked back to the low passage that led to the platform, Granger taking two steps for every one of his. When they were finally out of the central cave, Draco turned her to him. "'What the fuck was that?' You might have told me you were off to barter with dark creatures. Granger's face was pale in the phosphorescence. I didn't know they'd be so... so... Haggish, cadaverous, lethal. The way the first one was eyeing you, she looked like she wanted to pluck your bloody liver out. And you walked right up to her. No wand. Stop manhandling me, said Granger, shaking off his hands. She was not going to pluck out my liver. They were nice to me, and they're certainly not hags. "'Not hags,' sputtered Draco. "'You presented them with awful.' "'That's a traditional gift. "'It's what you're meant to bring to the keepers of the well.' "'Who look like hags and smell like hags and eat like hags,' enumerated Draco, with irritated vigour. "'They don't eat like hags. "'You've just given them the ingredients for awful couscous. "'If those weren't hags, then what the hell were they?' "'I don't know. "'They—' or successive incarnations of them, anyway, have recurred in texts about the Greenwell for centuries. They're usually described as crone figures. They aren't evil. They're ancient. They were bloody she-dementors, and you're never to deal with that kind of creature again, without telling me first. I need you to understand that if anything happens to you, Shacklebolt will have my head, then Tonks will have my balls, then Potter and Weasley will scavenge the rest. My mother will bury me in a marmite jar. Do you understand? Fine, but you're overreacting. Granger shook her flask of water at him. I got what I came for. I was prepared. I said the right things and I brought the right gifts. Now she hit her stride and went on the offense. You almost threw a wrench in the works, getting so bloody hostile that they started taunting you. They could have told you things that would have tormented you for years. What things? What do you mean? Interrupted Draco, freshly disturbed. Nothing, Granger said. Seeing how intensely he was looking at her, she stepped back. It's stupid. What things, Granger? repeated Draco, looming over her now. She hesitated, but, in the face of his agitation, gave in. It's just part of the legend surrounding the keepers suggests that— Oh, it's silly and obviously made up. Suggests that they are seers. Seers, repeated Draco. One of them knows when you die, and the other knows how you die. Draco shuddered in spite of himself. Granger tucked a curl behind her ear and began to babble. It's all speculation, of course. Storytelling. It's such a common conceit in old magical texts. They love giving guardian figures added mystique with alleged powers. I don't put much stock in stories involving precognition, of course. Draco cut into her ramble. How can you be so cavalier about that kind of legend? You're literally best friends with the most precognitioned, prophesized, prognosticated, bollocksing boy who fucking lived. Granger straightened and looked ready to sink her teeth into this new argument. 
That was a highly unusual occurrence. Draco stared at his face, running a hand through his hair. I think one of those hags was about to say something, too. She started talking in rhymes. Fuck me. I wonder what she knew. The how or the when? The tales are utterly unsubstantiated, cut in Granger like the chief swat she was. They don't know anything. Don't start thinking about it. Too late. I am thinking about it. What rhymes with skies? asked Draco. Flies? Spies? Somehow, Granger was squeezing her large flask of well water into a pocket of her anorak. The impossibility of it distracted Draco from his morbid suppositions. What the... What is this? The anorak of a thousand pockets? How did that fit in there? You didn't even shrink it. I'm a dab hand at extension charms, Granger said rather too lightly. Can we... So that's how you were carrying around those two unholy offerings for the voodoo twins, said Draco. Finally, one Granger mystery solved. You do know those charms are heavily regulated by the Ministry, don't you? I'm aware, thank you, said Granger, snippy. If I'm reported by anyone, hopefully not present company if he knows what's good for him, I'm prepared to pay fines in exchange for the convenience. Oh, I see. Is that why you haul enormous sacks of galleons about? For fines? No, I carried those for ballast. Granger fished about in her pocket, and, for a wild moment, Draco thought she was going to pull a sack of galleons out to swing at his head. But no. She merely produced her wand and waved it to tell the time. Ugh, I'm late! I had one other thing to do, but you've put me so far behind schedule! Draco raised his eyes to the mushroom ceiling. Of course it was his fault. What thing? He and Granger squelched their way towards the manhole cover nesting amongst the fungi. A moment of pure self-indulgence, said Granger. I've wanted to go for ages, and now I'm in the area. But— But what? You're here, said Granger. And I don't want you to be— Too bad, said Draco. Any trust I might have had in your judgment has just been obliterated by your decision to haggle with hags, without a single sorting contingency plan if they got peckish. Granger made a sound that was more growl than anything else. Anyway— "'What self-indulgence? What's your vice, Granger?' "'None of your bloody business.' "'I promise I've seen worse, whatever it is.' Granger ignored him, disillusioning the two of them while Draco made guesses at her secret peccadillo. "'A brothel. Getting detention. Awful couscous.' They stepped onto the platform. Draco heard the invisible Granger take a deep, steadying breath. It served her well for the long scream that accompanied their expulsion to the surface.' And just like that, they were back in the chalice-well gardens, blinking in the sunshine. Draco couldn't immediately step off the platform. Granger was holding on to him like a drowning creature clinging to a lifeline. An echo of her heartbeat and fear thundered into his ring. Her grip shook. She was terrified. She made to step away, but her knees buckled, and she swung back into Draco instead. "'Fucking damned sodding gah!' said Granger into Draco's chest. A brilliant observation, said Draco. His voice seemed to bring her back to herself. She held him for a moment longer, then took a shaky breath and stepped away with a muttered apology. Draco glanced about for muggles, and seeing none, he cancelled the disillusionment. Back in the realm of the visible, Granger looked bloodless. That was awful, she said. I thought it was rather fun. Yes, well, you're also one of that diverse cohort of lunatics who enjoys Quidditch. Oi. They followed the meandering path back to the entrance of the gardens. 
Draco could see that Granger's hands, well, her fingertips, where they peeked out of the anorak, were still trembling. She ran her hands down her arms a few times. Right. You needn't worry about me ever coming back to barter with the voodoo twins. I never want to use that death trap again. If I need another sample, I'll just send you. Me, said Draco. Not a bloody chance. One of them wanted to sit my brains out of my skull. Or didn't you hear that part? She'd need a rather thick straw, mused Granger. Funny. You could land hard first on your way down next time. Make a bit of a milkshake for her. Draco stared at Granger. Perhaps it was healer humor, but she could be grisly when she worked off her adrenaline. Maybe it was a good thing she didn't play Quidditch. Then again, pondered Draco, she might make an exceptional beater. No bludgers needed. Danger Granger could collapse psyches with a few syllables. They passed through the gift shop, Eunice gave Draco a lovelorn look, and through the car park back to Granger's mini. Is there anything I could do that will make you go away? asked Granger. No, said Draco. What if I ask nicely? No. I'm not going to go interact with anything dark, or anyone at all. It doesn't even have anything to do with my project. Draco studied her. She looked genuinely crestfallen that he was going to ruin a third activity on today's list. He decided to be charitable. Tell me what it is, and I'll decide if it's dangerous or not. Perhaps I'll wait in the car. Granger checked her muggle pocket device. Apparently it gave the time, amongst other things. Damn it! They're closing in an hour. Get in, I'll tell you on the way. They got in without mishap, Draco having now developed an expertise in opening a muggle car door. One thing before we go, Miss Dabhand at Extension Charms, said Draco. Extend this footwell before I behead myself with my own knees. As it turned out, Granger's moment of pure self-indulgence, her terrible indiscretion, her vice, visiting a library. A library, repeated Draco. Yes, at Tinstfield. Draco wanted to scream with laughter, but felt that would be unprofessional. He settled for gasping out. The decadence? I wish you'd go away, said Granger with cutting sincerity. The absolute sin of it all, said Draco. Please apparate home to your mother. A library. I shall have to report it. As you can see, I am quite safe here. The only remotely bad things here are your attempts at humour. What other naughty habits have you got? Church going. Baking. It's a remarkable library. Of course, it must be. And I don't know when I'll be back in Somerset. Yes. It's one of the largest libraries owned by the National Trust. Hmm. The estate also has a beautiful orangery. A rare surviving example from the late Victorian period. A thrill, to be sure. All of these things I wish to enjoy without you. Draco spotted the clenched jaw that signaled Granger reaching a breaking point. Either a jinx or a painfully incisive mark was forthcoming. He backed off. Fine. You can visit your blessed Titsfield. Tinsfield! And I shall wait in the car. I can sincerely say I haven't the slightest desire to join you. The rest of his sentence was overpowered by a sudden wail. Draco swore. The sodding sneakoscope. Granger took her eyes off the road to give him a look of absolute surprise. "'It's malfunctioning, clearly,' said Draco. "'Clearly,' repeated Granger somberly. Draco gave the glove-box a harrowing glare. "'Hoisted by your own petard,' said Granger. 
All of her previous annoyance had dissipated. She most definitely was holding back a grin. The wail faded. I'm going to throw that blasted thing out the window, said Draco. Don't. I've grown rather fond of it. Thanks to some rather zippy driving on Granger's part. Speed limits. A suggestion, really, as the sneakoscope sang. They made it to Tinsfield half an hour before closing. Granger was able to partake in the library and the orangery, and Draco enjoyed a poppy-seed cake from the cafe, and they watched the sunset together, and only quarreled four times.'